everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Right, so today I am unbelievably excited to be discussing the 2019 Korean drama, The Tale of Noctu. So this drama came out, so it's very, very recent as I record this, so it came out in the latter half of 2019. It is a 16-episode drama, and I guess you would, so it, it is a saguk, um, so it's set in historical times, it's set during the Joseon dynasty in Korea, and I guess you kind of class it as a bit of a rom-com. Um, because it is a historical drama, it also has, you know, all the staples of that genre, so there's, you know, <laughs> a bit of action, uh, lots of uh, being cut up by swords and assassins and political conspiracies and a little bit of torture, like all that kind of historical drama stuff happens. But the overall tone of this K-drama is very light. It's very funny, very charming and breezy and sweet. Um, but it also has some kind of really moving emotional stuff as well. So it's just like, it's just got the full package. It's going to make you feel all the emotions. That's what I think anyway. <laughs> so this K-drama is based on a webcomic. I feel like most of the dramas that I've watched recently that I have just adored have all been based on webcomics and it just blows me away that all these really cool, I guess it's such an interesting medium, the whole webcomic thing. It's, um, I'm not sure if it's really big in other Asian countries as well. I know it definitely is in Korea. Um, I would be really interested if it is really big in other Asian countries. I presume it probably is in China, but I don't know about Japan. Um, or, you know, other East Asian countries. But certainly in my culture, in my country, like, webcomics are not a thing. They just don't exist. Uh, nor do I did a little bit of reading about, like, phone novels, which are, like, really short kind of novels designed for your phone, um, which I know is another big thing in Asia, which we just don't have over here where I'm from, which I don't know. I feel like it's kind of sad. I kind of feel like Western culture is maybe lagging behind in some of these really exciting new mediums and new ways to tell stories. And certainly, judging from the the amount of Korean dramas that have been based off webcomics or web novels or light novels, like this is, this is 
I guess, a place to really um, put out amazing stories that are just really, really exciting. So I guess it'd be really cool if I had access to all those stories is probably what I'm trying to say. (laughs) So I wish they were all translated. Um, Maybe some of them are, but I presume that, you know, the vast majority of Korean webcomics aren't really going to be available in English, unfortunately. And my Korean is just so shitty that I wouldn't even bother trying. Um. So, yeah, I guess, you know, as I've been saying, the tale of Noctu for me has been an absolute standout of the year. It is such a good show from beginning to end. Um, It's an interesting kind of one because it really does feel like it comes in two halves. So the first half of the show is just rom-com central. It is funny charming romantic and just really really breezy and light and amusing um the the comedy is fantastic and then the second half of the show actually kind of uproots itself moves whole location of the setting from this little countryside village into Hanyang in you know the capital of Korea at that time and the whole show also changes a little bit in tone. Suddenly it becomes more, a little bit more of a serious kind of sagok. Um, we start dealing with, um, you know, much bigger sort of plotty issues and uh, political conspiracy. And, you know, the stakes really, really rise at this point to absolute life and death for all the characters involved. Um, and I actually thought it was really, really clever. This massive, um, really huge shift in the middle of the show, because one thing I think that it does is it just means that the show really doesn't run out of steam um, because the comedy and everything at the beginning is like it is top notch it is absolute gold but I think the fact that halfway through the show it kind of wanes off and the show becomes like a whole different beast just enables that comedy at the start to be such a fresh zingy fun part of the show and you never get sick of it it never starts to like wear a bit thin or get a bit old and the whole thing just morphs into a completely different show which again feels really fresh and new and exciting and you can't wait to see these characters that you have grown to love in you know a fresh new setting doing a fresh new thing so I just think it's a really interesting and clever way to tell a story Um, and I think you know there's a lot of dangers I think with changing a story so drastically in the middle as well in that um, you know maybe it doesn't really work out maybe it feels too too different like two completely different shows just tacked together um in this case that was definitely not how I felt I felt it was such a smooth transition and such a great just a great way to keep everything kind of chugging ahead so nothing ever felt like it ran out of steam for me uh, so yeah, I just absolutely adored this show. Um, I think I'm going to talk a little bit now about the story, the characters, and also the actors involved. So the tale of Nokdu opens with this scene on this windswept island in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. And we have our main character who is called Nokdu who is played by the actor Jung Dong-yoon. So Nokdu is this young guy who is obviously like really talented at martial arts. He looks really a bit wild and windswept because he's stuck on this island and he's basically hanging out with this old dude and this little girl. This little girl is 10 and basically she's just telling Nokdu how she's going to marry him and also the old guy is also well behind this who is the little girl's father 
uh, and is trying to get Noctu to marry his 10-year-old. I presume he means like when she gets a bit older. But I did find that all quite amusing because Noctu's just like, yeah, nah, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And basically he's sort of... Um, Sounds a little bit uncool, but I guess he's hoodwinking them into thinking that he's going to marry this tiny child um, to learn martial arts. So weird, but kind of charming in a weird way. Somehow the show gets away with such an insane opening. Um, so basically, Nokdu, we figure out that he and his family, so his family is his dad and his, I think his younger brother, who's, you know, similar age. And they've been living in hiding for many, many years, hence, you know, them hanging out on this weird island in the middle of nowhere. And so he goes back to his house and a whole bunch of assassins turn up and there's a huge fight scene, which is actually pretty cool. I really enjoyed the action and the fight scenes in this drama um, because Nokdu is like a martial artist in the show. He has these very, very like... Uh, I want to say like acrobatic kind of fights where, you know, there's loads of flipping and just really cool, very high energy jumping around kind of fight scenes, which are really, really fun to watch. And I think choreographed in a really showy kind of fun, jumpy sort of way. So I really, really enjoyed all that stuff. And basically, Noctu fights off these bunch of assassins, heaps of them get killed, but at least one of them is running away. So while his family decide that they're going to, you know, shift positions once again to stay in hiding, Noctu by this point is like, fuck that, I want to know why these people are after me, um, because he does figure out that they're after him specifically, and you know, he's just a young dude who's never done anything and just been living on weird islands his whole life. So he just sets out into the world to, I guess, follow this assassin and figure out what the fuck is going on. So the trail of the assassin leads to a widow's village. So this was really interesting to me. Um, I guess one of the cool things about this show is even though it does shift in later episodes to the more traditional kind of political rebellion, conspiracy, you know, king and queen kind of stuff, the first half of the show is very squarely focused on women, like all the main characters are women other than Noctu, like there's just women everywhere, there's, um, you know, how women lived in the Joseon dynasty and it's really interesting, I really, really liked this this focus on this women's community um, in the Joseon era um, just because it's not something that you see as often in Sargorks. Um, and it's always been an issue for me that a lot of Sargoks that I really, really love that are amazing kind of have no good women characters in them. And I don't think it's the fault of the show or the writing because, you know, it's just that era. It is that historical era. And if you want to be historically accurate, um, then there's certain things that women weren't doing back then that, are, you know, it's kind of sad, but that's just the way things are, obviously. But a show like this really, I guess, gets into the minutiae of all these different women and their lives. And it's really fun. And I really, really liked that kind of female-centric thing for the first half of the drama. It felt very fresh and interesting. Um, it was also historically interesting, as I do get into my history quite a lot around the Korean dramas. So this drama is specifically set just in, I guess, maybe quite a few years after, but in the aftermath of the Imjin War. So the Imjin War is like a I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's like a seven year on and off conflict between Japan and Korea when Japan was attempting to, you know, invade Korea in order to get to China. 
Um, and it was absolutely devastating on the Korean countryside and, you know, the whole of the Korean peninsula. So in the aftermath of that war, we see this women's community, which is a widow community. So it's really interesting. I guess I guess the idea is there's even more widows because the country has been at war. But because of Joseon, I guess, society and framework, basically women did not really have any rights at that point. Um, it was a very, like, um, I want to say patriarchal kind of society. So if you were a woman, just say you were a young, say, noble woman, and you went to live, you got married, you would go to live at your groom's house with your groom's parents and grandparents or whatever. And then just say he happened to die, you know, at any point during your lives together, but particularly if you're still a young woman, basically you become an unwanted extra mouth that that family has to feed and they do not want you there. Also, it's almost like considered to be a little bit shameful, you know, that you're still alive while your husband is dead. And apparently a lot of these women, these widows in those situations were under a lot of pressure to perform an honorable death, which means basically to kill themselves, um, to rid the family of the burden of having to look after them. You know, I guess it might be different if they'd had a child because then their role would be to raise that child. But if they're childless and young and say they hadn't been married very long, you know, there would be a lot of pressure on them, on that young woman to end her life and therefore, you know, remove the stain of shame on that family or whatever. Um, so this drama is kind of dealing with the idea that women, young women who are in that situation and become widows are running away. Uh, and they're getting chased, you know, by their in-laws, I suppose. Um, but what they have is this safe haven, which is this widow's village, um, which they also mentioned, you know, kind of got created during the war because there were so many widows and then they all banded together to help each other and look after each other. And they created these, this um, female only society. So that was really, really interesting, I think, to see in the show. So what happens in the show is that Nokdu just kind of blusters his way immediately into this widow's village, which is absolutely strictly no men. And he goes in and there's a lot of very tough women in there who are kind of patrolling it and making sure that it remains women only. And he gets completely bashed up and kicked out. Um, but he really, really wants to get in there because he knows that's where the assassins are. He's realized the assassin he was following was actually a woman and he wants to get in there to find out, you know, why she was trying to murder his entire family. Uh, so what happens is he comes across a widow who is, um, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff happens, but this young woman is trying to get away from her family and be reunited with her love, um, who is obviously of a much lower class than she is. Um, and her in-laws are after her. So Nock do, you know, swaps clothes with her, dresses up like a woman, and then through whatever circumstances, he ends up entering the village under her name, pretending to be her. And he totally pulls it off. He's too tall and his shoulders are too broad, but like he looks really pretty as a woman. And it's really, I guess, you know, it's obviously played for a lot of comedy in this show, the whole gender bending thing and I think it's done in a really clever way it's um very very amusing but also I guess kind of uh, bypassing the whole stereotypes kind of thing um because the female lead in this isn't so typically feminine and then you know Nokdu is able to dress up as a woman and 
really pull it off like <laughs> so yeah it's really really fun and I really enjoyed the whole start and setup of that first episode it was very very amusing So I guess I want to talk a bit about the actor Jung Dong-yoon, who plays the main male lead in this drama and the character of Nokdu. Um, I have seen the actor Jung Dong-yoon in one drama before he was in school 2017. I really didn't like him. I remember particularly not liking him. Uh, it took a really long time into this drama before I made the connection that it was even the same actor. He, I don't know why I didn't like him in the other thing. And this is going to sound such a funny thing you know I hate being like oh this person's good looking or this person isn't you feel like such a judgy judger but I guess at the same time you know a lot of us do watch k-dramas because the people in them are so freaking pretty and that is I guess an attractive part of watching Korean dramas for a lot of people and for myself included but then I also feel weird about like judging people from the way they look uh but I guess I'm gonna do it anyway which yeah well there you go weird um so I guess that's just the world we live in, isn't it? So when I first saw Jung Dong-yoon, I did not find him good looking. Like I just really didn't. And it was really interesting for me to, when I'm watching Tale of Noctu, the truth is, I guess I still don't find him that good looking, like in terms of him, but then there's just something about this guy like there's something in the way he holds himself in the way he acts um he has like this very I guess a very physical performance because like part of the comedy and the gender bending like kind of interesting part about this drama is the way he swaps between pretending to be a woman and pretending to be a man and it is really interestingly done. And I think the actor just does such an amazing job of, um, and I think, that, I mean, I don't know if it's his performance or what, but he's so charismatic and he does look amazing, even though personally, I'm not like, you know, that's the most good looking man in the world. But it's like, it's that thing where you might meet someone and you don't really think they're very good looking. And then you might talk to them for, you know, half an hour, an hour. And suddenly you're like, holy shit, this person is very, very good looking and hot because there's just something about them. Uh, so for me, uh, Jung Dong-yoon is like that. Like he is so good in this role. It, it is just like absolute breakout performance for me like and I imagine that no one would be watching this show and not just be like your eyes are on him when he he's a complete scene stealer he's so good and I think the drama is really clever too in the way that it plays with the whole gender you know swap kind of thing so basically for most of the start of the show Nokdu the character is dressed up like a widow and, you know, he's always putting on, um, you know, like a really sweet voice and trying to be really demure. And there's a lot of comedy in that, obviously. And he immediately gets paired with this young woman played by Kim So-hyun, who is amazing in this, of course, because she's Kim So-hyun. Uh, and her character's name is Dong-ju. So she is a young woman who is a gisang in training and she doesn't want to be there, but this is her lot in life. So that's what she's trying to do. Unfortunately for her, she is shit at all of the kind of feminine, fem feminine kind of stuff. So she can't dance, can't do any of these things. And she's clearly not someone who's very good at like, 
you know, putting on an act. I think to be a gisang, you've got to be able to be very demure and sort of really cater to, you know, <laughs> put on a sweet personality and flatter somebody. And she's just a really blunt, straight out there kind of person. And she's not suited for that kind of stuff at all. So I think that this is part of the comedy too. You have a young woman who is kind of shit at being what you know, what she's meant to be, this demure, um, graceful geeseng in training. And then you've got this young man who is pretending and is quite good at it, at being this kind of sweet, demure woman. <laughs> and you shove them together and obviously they end up having to room together in, um, first of all, in the geeseng house, um, in a room there, and then eventually in the widow's village. So most of the comedy comes from them hating each other at the beginning and bickering at each other nonstop, like the bickering kind of bickering to a level of trust and sort of a foundation of friendship between them is just an absolute joy to see. It's so much fun. And at the very beginning, you know, Dongju has no idea that the person she's rooming with is actually a man. And she does find out by falling on top of him and touching him in his uh, sensitive areas. Uh, and it's really interesting to see, like, after that, I think the gender stuff gets even more fun because Nokdu doesn't bother pretending in front of Dongju anymore. So you'll get a moment where he'll be talking to all the other women in this really high-pitched, you know, kind of girly voice and acting a certain very girly way. And then as soon as he's kind of talking to Dongju or alone with her, like his voice changes, his demeanor changes. And suddenly, even though he's wearing a dress, he's acting like a man. And it really, I guess, the difference between those two sort of things is really pronounced. So sometimes you're watching him and he really is acting like a woman of that time. And then other times, even though he looks exactly the same, same hairstyle, same dress, he just acts in a different way. And I want to say that there's something slightly hot about it. <laughs> I feel embarrassed to say it, but it's true. It really, it's an interesting thing. And I think it's the kind of thing that gets you like, you feel really confused when you're watching it. Like, I don't know what's going on, but like, I like it. It's really, really good. So it's so much fun. And I think it's such a like twist on, you know, on expectations or, or maybe on those kind of uh, the groove set out for certain genders and what certain genders are meant to be, blah, blah, blah. So I really, really enjoyed it. It was really, really good fun. The other thing that the show does really well during this time, I think, with the whole dressing up like a woman thing is every time or most of the times that he, that Nokdu kind of has something like a moment of, you know, sizzling chemistry or whatever with Dongju, it's always at a point where because they really want to hit home that he's a guy, he's always shirtless. So every time they kind of have these moments, and I guess it's meant to be a bit of a like, so she can't get used to the idea that he's is like a harmless woman. So they're constantly stripping Nokdu in this drama. Like he's always walking around shirtless, like he's always fallen into a river or he's getting changed or just something's always happening to make him shirtless. But it's really interesting because half the time you're seeing him dressed as a woman and you just settle into that kind of look. And then the rest of the time, you know, he's walking around and he looks, you know, 
it's really impossible to ignore that he is a dude. Like the way that he walks and carries himself completely changes and he's always shirtless. So it's just such an interesting kind of dynamic and it just really, really works. And I think that Jung Dong-yoon is like, he's fucking good in this. So even though I personally don't find like him super like good looking, there's just like the way that he acts and his performance in this is like super hot. So then he is good looking. I don't even know how to talk about it. But also he has this really, really nice kind of natural look to him, I think. Like he's got a really nice toothy grin, which I always have a bit of a thing for those like, you know, pre-wearing braces kind of toothy grins where you have some teeth that go in the wrong way. I always find that like supremely charming. So he's got one of those going on. Um, so yeah, I just, I really, really enjoyed his performance as you can tell, because I've been like crapping on about it for ages, <laughs> but I presume if you've seen it, um, that you might feel the same way. I hope. So I wanted to have a bit of a discussion about the romance in this drama. I think that it was done really, really well. So obviously it begins with Dongju not knowing that Nokdu is a dude. And so they just have this really kind of spiteful, bickering, hateful relationship. And then when she does discover that he's a dude, she thinks he's, you know, a complete idiot. So the bickering and all the kind of just fighting really, really continues. But I kind of like it because they end up helping each other, standing up for each other, and I guess developing this kind of solid kind of friendship, you know, um, just because they've been thrown together and they want to help each other. And even though they both are hiding massive secrets from each other, they're still able to kind of cross that bridge and meet in the middle and really support each other. So I think like it really does begin on friendship, which is something that I love because <laughs> I think that that is, you know, when you're watching a love story, when it's built on friendship, I think you can believe so much more strongly that it is something that is going to last. And therefore, for me, I find those kind of romance stories a lot more romantic than just ones with like kind of big romantic gestures, but no substance to it. So I felt like their relationship when it first starts is really, really solid. Um, so I also, it's an interesting thing. They're both keeping massive secrets from each other. Like Nokdu isn't telling Dongju the truth about why he's even there dressing as a woman. He's made up some crazy story. Um, and Dongju has her own secrets and her own mission that she is trying to accomplish, which she's not telling him. And in a lot of K-dramas, I can find that kind of lack of communication very, very annoying when you know that everything could be resolved with them just talking about this. Um, in this drama, I felt really differently about it. I really liked it. I felt like their reasons for keeping these secrets from each other was so strong. And then I also didn't feel like having those secrets was a barrier to them I guess leaning on each other and coming to rely on each other it it really wasn't a barrier to me believing in their relationship so it it was just like a nice extra added layer where they both have these secrets that are so crippling that they're unable to speak about them um so I really really 
quite liked that element about both of them. And I particularly thought it was, I really liked Dongju's backstory. So her backstory is that, um, you know, she was um, a noble daughter of this family and this family ended up um, getting marked as traitors by the king. And all of them got murdered, um, which is, you know, if your grandfather was a traitor, basically every single person alive related to him would be executed. Um, so that's the way it was back then. And so her entire family dies in front of her. And it's like, it's pretty fucking horrific. You know, she's lying on a pile of dead bodies next to her mother as her mother dies. And it's really moving. Her mother actually says to her, you know, just live, forget all of this, survive, live and be happy. That is what her mother's last message is to Dongju. But it's like Dongju just can't computed and she has lived her whole life with the one aim and that is to get vengeance on the king she wants to murder the king which means you know she understands a hundred percent that if she kills the king that is her life forfeit and she doesn't care so falling in love with Noctu for her just is not an option because as far as she feels it is an absolute betrayal to her family and to what she has kind of like woven this um, fake, I guess, last wish from her mother that what her mother believes that she should do is take vengeance. When in truth, you know, of course, that's not what her mother wants. Her mother just wants her daughter to survive and be happy and live some sort of life. Um, so it's actually, it's very tragic and very sad, but I really, really liked that Dongju had this really terrible secret. And I liked that it created a proper barrier to her admitting even to herself her feelings for, for Noctu. Um, I felt like it was very realistic. And I also, the thing I liked about it was this is definitely Noctu's story. This is following him as he goes on this epic journey to find out who, you know, his biological parents are and what that means. And it is a massive big political thing in the end um, and I think in all of these really huge scale events um, and very you know high stakes kind of thrilling adventure kind of stuff Dongju's character could have very easily been sort of lost in that um, which I think is a real problem for female leads in dramas that more follow the male lead um, obviously that doesn't happen in I think you know historical dramas that are very female centric female lead centric but in something like this I think the the kind of potential for that female lead to just not be as strong like their character to not have as much going on is quite large and in this case I feel that Dongju's secret and all this internal conflict that she has really even though it's a much simpler straightforward kind of character growth story than Noctu's own story um, which is the scene stealer it still leaves Dongju as a very strong character so she does feel quite weighty in the story which I really really like I really like that she wasn't just sort of brushed aside in that you know, she has her own things going on. I thought that that was just wonderful. So at the beginning of the drama, you know, when she realizes that Noctu's a dude and she starts trying to help him and they just keep having these moments because he's always freaking shirtless near her and just, you know, looking really nice. And he's sort of obviously falling for her. And it's pretty hard for poor Dongju to kind of ignore all that shit. He also does stuff like there's this scene where this, this horrible old, 
you know, horrible old noble dude is like hitting on her and she gets dressed up like a Gisang, which I might say was amazing to see Kim Sohyun dressed up like a Gisang. She looked so beautiful. I loved it. Um, but, you know, she has to go to this horrible old creepy old man's house and he's obviously, you know, wants to rape her basically. And at this point, Dongju and Nokdu don't really have anything you know, there's no reason for him to come and save her, but he does. So it's kind of like, I guess they start just doing things like that for each other and he can't quite let it go. You know, he can't, even though he's got his own things going on and he's on this massive mission to figure out who this little group of assassins are in the women's community, he kind of just can't ever move that far away from Dongju. And Dongju also likes him quite quickly as well. I was actually a little bit worried about that, about how quickly that relationship, not that they liked each other quickly, I quite liked that, but there is this point where they're both, because they're sharing a room, they're in this room, and of course, Nokdu is shirtless, because why not? <laughs> and it's the middle of the night, and it's like, he... <sighs> He kind of is about to say something to her and she knows, she just knows that he is about to say that he likes her. And this was the one point I was like, why does she know that? Like, I didn't feel that there had been quite enough. I mean, I knew as a viewer that he did like her, but I didn't know that she would have realized that. So I was really worried. The episode ended and Nokdu just leans in and he kisses her. And then right then the second male lead turns up and, you know, um, interrupts the moment but I was really really worried like this is only I'm not sure how many episodes in it was but it wasn't that many and I was like oh no like what if all the steam just goes out of the relationship because they've got together so quickly and I think this is a real problem with love stories in general is that what do you do with all that tension after it's been diffused by a kiss like how do you keep your audience stringing on if the question that you're asking is will they or won't they, how do you keep people watching after you've answered it with, yeah, they're going to get together, they will. Um, so I was really worried because I was just adoring this drama and I was like, oh, please remain good to the end. And then they kiss and I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> like, please, you know, just keep that tension, keep a reason for me to want to watch these two. And it did, it completely did. It really, the love story in this really blew me away because it did something that a lot of love stories for me um, don't often work for me and that is the characters actually get together and I still wanted to know what they were up to. <laughs> Usually I kind of check out at that point point. I don't really know why if that's just something about me but um, so what happens after this initial kiss which I really really liked is Dongju immediately is like I don't like you, go away, because she has her own shit going on and she also just cannot let Nokdu into her affections because she feels like it's a betrayal to her dead family. So she's got a lot of internal conflict going on. And Nokdu is, it's really sweet actually, he's very inexperienced, you know, he's not like been with women before or never felt this way about a woman before. And so he just constantly throws himself at her and every time she rebuts him he's like he's so hurt but he also believes her when most of the time he believes her when she's kind of rejecting him and he's so sad and it's really moving and it just like it makes you really really want him to succeed and you also feel sorry for Dongju because you know that her rebuttal of him is not 
to do with how she really feels. She's just trying to do the right thing by her family and it's kind of breaking her heart. So it kind of introduced this different kind of dynamic to them suddenly where instead of just bickering and being at each other's throats nonstop, suddenly Nokadu is being really, I guess, um, emotionally vulnerable constantly and really putting himself out there and really trying hard to make her love him, basically. And Dongju is trying equally hard to not let herself do exactly that. So I really liked that. Um, and then the whole drama shifts to Hanyang at that point in the romance as well. So uh, Dongju also ends up in Hanyan and all this different stuff happens, but eventually she sort of has to admit to herself and to him that she is in love with him. And they kiss and it's beautiful and it's great. And the tension still just is there. Even though they're together, they just have this really kind of loving, warm and natural relationship where it's still really heart fluttering, even though there's no kind of conflict so much between them. There's no will they, won't they? They're just completely solidly together. And yet it is still utterly charming to watch them be together. And I don't really know how or why, because usually that's the point where I care a lot less about these kind of relationships. And I didn't. I loved seeing them together. And I do wonder if part of that is to do with this I mean, I think just the incredible natural chemistry that the actors Jung Dong-yoon and Kim So-hyun have together. Like, they are so good together. Um, And particularly with youth romances where I think because maybe the producers or the creators of the show want things to be kept very innocent and very chaste, there can be a kind of awkwardness in those romances to the way that they kiss or the way that they touch each other or the way that they hug or whatever. What's in this, everything feels unbelievably natural like um I don't want to be one of those crazy fans who's like oh they must be dating in real life but like it's really natural like it's like they were I mean I'm not saying they are I'm sure they're not but if you know what I mean it just feels very real I guess this kind of affection between them and they've got I just really really loved it like I was so hooked and I think it works so well so I was just utterly utterly invested in their romance and their love story right up till the very last episode and I just couldn't get enough of just seeing them on screen together and seeing the way that they interacted and you know it was amazing and even you know after their initial kiss scenes I was still just as invested in all the other kiss scenes that came after it was like I just couldn't get enough of these guys they were so good and the romance was really touching and really moving and I really really cared about them and I think so much of that is built on the fact that I really felt like they had this deep proper proper relationship where I can just see them being together you know well after the drama finishes that they will be together and live this really nice life together and I think maybe when you watch romances they can be really wonderful and sweeping and there isn't so much of that minutia of almost domestic like domestic kind of stuff where you can actually see that they could be happy together doing very small, normal things, you know? Um, so I really liked that. I, I thought it was really sweet, but also very romantic um, and very moving and very emotional. So yeah, top-notch romance in this drama.
Okay, so I'm going to try and sort of wrap up <laughs> the rest of what I had to say about Tale of Noctu and not keep this going too long. My episodes have got really, really long lately for some reason. I just seem to have a lot to say all the time. And I'm sure three quarters of it is absolute waffle. But here we go. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a bit about the second male lead in this drama. I really, really enjoyed his performance and his story. And so at the very beginning, okay, so the actor who plays the second male lead is Kung Tae who is I don't know he seems like a really new actor I've seen him in one other drama this year which was my first first love um I really enjoyed him in that he played just this goofy sidekick kind of side character but he was very funny very charming he's very handsome and just very likable but really silly in this drama he kind of plays a very um I want to say dual character like it very much has two sides and they're very you know <laughs> complete opposites and I thought he did a really good job and I think the thing that I really liked about this actor in this drama was it kind of showed me like yeah he can do more than just silly comedy I think he's actually a really good actor he can be serious he can be silly he can be romantic and after watching him in Tale of Noctu I'm like I want to see this guy as a lead I think he's really good um, so he plays a character called Yulmu, who is just this like handsome noble dude who's hanging around Dongju at this Giseng house, you know, and you don't really know who he is, except you get the impression he's pretty powerful, so he can get shit done. If she's in trouble, he solves it really quick. So whoever he is, he's got power. Um, and he doesn't really do anything. He's kind of just like one of these Mr. Nice Guy, harmless, second male, really, you know, handsome second male lead dudes who's just hanging around and sort of causing a little bit of, um, you know, jealousy and stuff going on with Nokdu and Dongju and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of the section of the drama, which is dealing with the women's community and these women assassins and everything. Um, and during that first half of the drama, right, there, there is a little bit of sprinkling of political stuff. Like every now and then we go and check in with the king and I'm like, boring, I don't care. And then we'd go back to the main story and I'd be really into it. But then there's this like kind of flick, uh, this switch gets flicked about halfway through and suddenly all the political stuff and why it's there makes sense. And then it's fascinating. It's really good fun. So there's a huge twist halfway through the drama, which honestly I didn't see coming. And it turns out that the handsome sweet you know, Mr. Nice Guy, second male lead, is actually Grand Prince. I think his name is Nung Sung or Sung Nung. <laughs> One of those two things. Um, and he is out for the throne. And he is a fucking scary dude. Like, he's he's a freaking murdery murderer. And he's, like, scary as fuck. And it was such a cool kind of little reveal and twist that I just didn't really see coming and I loved it because he felt so you know he was charming and good looking but he just felt so toothless in the story and I couldn't really understand why he was even in there like he didn't really have much of an impact on the main romance and you know other than to turn up every now and then and be a bit jealous and then suddenly his personality does quite a big shift and you realize that he's he's really scary and he's willing to do anything to get what he wants so what he wants is the throne he's actually next in line for the throne um, and obviously he wants to take over from the current king which is king guanghe um, and the other thing he wants is dongju and he's quite scary about both of these goals um, but in terms of acting like 
the actor was amazing, I think. Like he was great at playing just the handsome Mr. Nice Guy kind of really charming romance or romantic kind of dude. But once he starts getting serious, he's very charismatic and I think really, really good. And to the point where I was like, I want to see this guy in a serious Saguk as the lead character. Like I would totally watch that. He was really wonderful. Um, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed his performance. Um, it was really cool. So King Guanghei, I happen to know a little bit about the history because I quite like King Guanghei. Um, in this drama, he's the biggest McDouche face that you've ever come across. Like he's such a horrible, horrible douche. I really hated him, but in real life, and I don't know a huge amount about him except what I have learned from other shows and stuff, but I find him a very, very interesting historical figure. Um, but I did happen to know that King Guanghei does get usurped by somebody else and King Guanghei gets banished to an island for the rest of his life. So, you know, the stakes in the second half of the drama, when it turns out that Nokdu is actually King Guanghei's long lost son that King Guanghei tried to murder. And, you know, then there's this um, kind of rebellion getting churned up by this grand prince who's the second male lead. And, you know, like I knew enough of the history to know what was going to happen in terms of those really big events. I just couldn't figure out how it was going to happen. So I still utterly enjoyed the second half of this drama when you know everything gets really really serious and intense um king guanghei in this drama is you know like i said he's a total mcdouche face he's a terrible person but they do try and give him i guess two sides which is you do see that if things had been different i think you know he could have really loved his son nokdu and they could have got on but He's just, it's unforgivable, you know, everything that he's done. So one thing that I really enjoyed about the drama is this idea of found family as well. I think, you know, Nokdu and Dongju obviously have found each other, but Nokdu's been raised by this random dude who he always thought was his father. And I loved their relationship. I loved the fact that, you know, his fake father wasn't his biological father and yet the relationship that Nokdu has with him is so positive and just so healthy and so good and I think it was so important because King Guanghei is such a douche that I think they could have really crushed Nokdu's heart even more than it did if he hadn't had the support of you know maybe not his biological father but his true father the father that truly loves him as a son and I found that really moving particularly in the very last episode when Nokdu finally finds out um you know years and years after the events of the main part of the drama that King Guanghei did get usurped and banished which you know is the historical truth of what happened and I really love the way you know his the man that you know, is not his biological father, but is his father, like hugs him and just says, you just should feel whatever you feel. And I was just like, oh, it was such a moving, beautiful family moment that I really loved. Um, and actually, sorry, I forgot to say the second male lead, you know, he goes full crazy because he's totally evil and he's trying to take over, you know, from the king and he's really scary and he's willing to murder a lot of people. But the cool thing I think that the drama did was they didn't make him completely one note. So he's the other thing that he wants is Dongju. And he does go too far quite a few times to sort of force her to be, you know, to love him, I suppose. But there's also these moments where she rejects him and you can just see the hurt on his face and 
it doesn't excuse any of his actions, but I liked the kind of duality of it that he he loves her genuinely. Like he genuinely, sincerely is in love with her and he wants to treat her right and he wants to keep her safe and he wants her to love him back. So he doesn't want to force her to be with him. He wants her to want to be with him. And in the end, you know, he just struggles with it on and on. And there is this really sensitive kind of side to it, I suppose, that almost endears him to you because he genuinely loves her. So you feel a bit sorry for him, even though he's doing all these terrible things. Um, but in the end, it because of that, I think it felt really, really natural that eventually the second male lead lets her go. You know, he tries to bring her into his house and then he just realizes that she will never sincerely love him and that's what he wants he doesn't want to you know have her body or have her near him if it doesn't mean that he can have her heart like he wants her to give it to him and she never will so you know it's this really I really liked it and he just lets her go because he wants her to be happy above everything else he really truly loves her enough to let her go and be with another man if that is what she wants so that felt um, I think it was just set up in a really cool way that it made a lot of sense when it happened um I don't know if I'm gonna say anything else about Tale of Noctu um there's a whole bunch of women assassins that I really liked and all these widows that I really liked and you know I really really liked a lot of the side characters um and although I didn't like all the political stuff in the first half of the drama when it kind of becomes a bigger part of the drama, it actually works out quite well. And King Guanghei in this is a complete lunatic, but he's quite an interesting character. You know, sometimes he's terrible, sometimes he's kind of nice, just whatever. So yeah, I'm, I think that's all I'm going to say. Um, for me, I felt like story-wise and plot-wise, everything felt very, very solid. I was very emotionally invested all the way to the end. Um, I loved all the action. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed it. And I really deeply cared for these characters and not just the main two but it actually extended out to other you know all the rest of the side characters and I was really fond of everybody so the ending I really really loved and yeah I just didn't feel like the show ever ran out of steam or was spinning its wheels it just felt like it knew where it was going and I was just along for the ride the whole way so I definitely definitely recommend the 2019 Korean drama The Tale of Nokdu. um it's only 16 episodes, so it's not like a really big, long watch. It's also very funny and very light at the start. So, you know, it's really easy to watch, I guess. And then by the time things get heavier, you're so invested and in love with these characters that, you know, you, you just have to know what happens. So I think it's a really, really wonderful historical Korean drama. I definitely recommend The Tale of Nokdu. now it is time for my random thing of the week and as you guys all know I love me a little spot of Korean history <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about King Gwanghae so in the tale of Noctu he is portrayed as an absolute douchey douche McFace I fucking hated him uh, he's a complete lunatic in the show so I have seen like he is just in so many dramas and movies and he was um you know, he was alive during the Imjin War, which is a period of Korean history that I find very fascinating. Um, so I have a bit of a soft spot for that historical figure. So I, 
you know, I liked the way he was portrayed in the drama because it was a drama. But I think in truth, he, I don't know that there is evidence that he was quite such an, um, you know, unstable lunatic type. Um, so I've watched him in another movie called Warriors of the Dawn, which is a great movie, which maybe I'll even talk about on here at some point because I really enjoyed it. But so the story of King Guang Hei, right, is that his father was king and King Guang Hei or Prince Guang Hei at that point, um, was born as he was the second son, uh, and he was born to a concubine. So because technically, you know, he wasn't born to the queen. So technically he wasn't, I mean, like he was legitimate because everyone knew who his mum was, but he, it, his mum was a concubine and not the actual installed queen of Joseon. Uh, so people looked down on him, I think, a bit because of that. And particularly his father didn't really like him. So he had a younger brother who was legitimate and his father definitely, you know, never wanted... Prince Guanghei to be the, the next king. But what happens is that during the Imjin War, when all these samurai from Japan invade Korea, um, it's really fascinating. So the king of Korea at that time literally just turned tail and fled north. And what he did was he installed his least favorite son as the crown prince because he left him kind of de facto in charge of the country while he fled away from all the fighting. So that was, of course, Prince Guanghei. So Prince Guanghei was never meant to be the crown prince because his dad fucking hated him. But he gets installed as the crown prince and left with the absolute chaos of this seven-year war, uh, basically because his dad thought that the war would kill him. He thought that his son wouldn't handle it. Um, and at this point, I think his son is only like fucking 18 years old or something like that. Like he's very, very young. He gets very unexpectedly installed as the crown prince and very unexpectedly put in charge basically of trying to, I guess, stop these invaders from taking over the whole country. And his dad just you know, runs off to survive the war. So the thing that happens that was very unexpected is that Crown Prince Guanghei does a really fucking good job. Like, um, he is a lot more competent than his father and he ends up being quite successful during this war and really endearing himself, I think, to the Korean people because one thing that happened during the Imjin War was, you know, all the people of the country saw their king, you know, a procession just leaving Seoul or, you know, Hanyang or Hansong, I can't remember what it was called at that time, but, you know, leaving the capital city and just moving north and leaving them all behind to die, basically, like, and on top of that, the king, when he moved north, he would, like, do a scorched earth policy, so he would, like, be burning crops and shit so that you know obviously when all the Japanese samurai turned up they wouldn't have anything to eat but on top of that neither did the Korean people so it was pretty fucking scary time and this crown prince Guanghei who was a very very young man at this point you know he really did his best I guess and obviously he must have done a pretty fucking good job so after the war um you know his dad came back and they couldn't I guess demote him like it was very unexpected I suppose to his father that 
Crown Prince Guanghe survived the war. And because he'd become a bit of a hero to the people, it's not like his dad could just like demote him because by this point, his dad wasn't very beloved by the people. Um, but even then, you know, his father um, really didn't want Guanghe to be the next king. So there was a lot of political unrest and all sorts of shit that happened um, as, you know, all these different kind of government factions tried to get, you know, a different prince into that position. But in the end, the old king um, dies quite suddenly and through different circumstances, uh, Crown Prince Guanghe is able to rise up and be king. But you know, he's not all good because he is a dude that lived in the 1600s and everyone back then was sort of shit. Um, so what he does do is murder his younger brother, uh, which, you know, which you'll actually see at the start of Tale of Noctu, except in Tale of Noctu, he didn't really have much to do with it. But like, that is a true historical thing that happened. And this, this younger brother was a very little boy. But the problem is, you know, if you have more than one prince, these princes are always, even if the princes themselves don't necessarily want the throne, they are just a figure for other political powers to sort of, you know, circle around and raise up and or not, you know, so it's a very, very dangerous thing, I think, back then to have more than one son and yet obviously all the kings want to have more than one son in case you know they die of disease or something happens so very tumultuous times um, obviously I mean every single country that has a monarchy has uh, you know these kind of stories of you know rebellions and intrigue and murders and assassinations and everything um so I I guess I have a bit of a soft spot for Guanghe because of this story um the idea of this young hated prince whose father just doesn't like him because of such a shit reason other than you know his mum's a concubine and basically leaving him to die in the face of an invasion and yet this young man actually does a really fucking good job and becomes a war hero is you know that's an amazing story it's really really incredible um and it's kind of sad because you know once he is a king and he yeah he murders his younger brother he totally does do that which is totally shit but there you go um you know he he becomes king for quite a long time and in the end, he gets usurped by this, you know, from Tale of Noctu, this Grand Prince Nungsung or Sung Nung or whatever, I can't remember his name. So um, King Guanghe gets banished. I think he actually ends up on Jeju Island or something like that, and he lives out the rest of his days there. And because he was usurped, he never actually gets one of these special king names, and that's why, you know, his whole life he's known, or even now, you know, he's known as Guanghe instead of one of those special king names that... um they all got named. I don't really know much about that, but it's a very, very interesting story. So I guess that's enough of me waffling on about that history, but it's pretty fascinating. Um, so Guanghe is uh, in heaps of different dramas. So if you are interested, there's one kind of serious one that's set just after the Imjin War, uh, which is called Splendid Politics. Uh, it's actually got So Kang Jun and Lee Yeon Hee. Um, it's quite good. Um, I think I watched half because it's unbelievably long I think it's like 50 episodes but it certainly kind of talks a lot about um you know how he becomes king uh which I really enjoyed a really great movie to watch is called Warriors of the Dawn uh which stars Yo Jin Gu who's a very famous young actor 
And I really, really liked it. It's about the very beginning of the Imjin War and the invasion of the Japanese forces. And so it's very, very fascinating. Um, he's also represented in a Korean drama that I really, really love called um, Tamra the Island or Tamra the Island. Um, and in that, there's basically this crazy old, old hobo who just runs around Jeju Island and is like real weird at everybody. And that, of course, is King Gwanghae once he gets banished to Jeju in his older years um so yeah and he's in a million other dramas as well so he's really well represented on screen um and I told you I was going to stop waffling and then I kept going so now I'm going to stop <laughs>